0: Welcome, and thank you for joining us in Season 3 of the Religion Podcast, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. Joel Tolbert. Eric Lender. How about it? Boy, it's been a while. What's been been going on?
1: It has been a while Well you traveled. I had a baby. I think one of us might have been sick in that period,, um, but it's good to be back.
0: We are several weeks behind, and I also have transitioned from an old computer to a different computer. so I've got a lot of editing to do,
1: <laughs> yes, yes, uh, and only only uh, more after after today, after but today. yeah, looking forward to looking forward to speaking with you and uh, Keeping it real, as we say, right?
0: Have you been? Has it? Things have gotten real in our world lately. Have you been keeping it real at Temple?
1: Oh, man. It, in some ways, it's too real.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, I will say th- this was going to be my topic today, but it's not. So I'm just going to say it. I, I finished this book. Um, I, mean, I It's one of those books I'm not sure if I would recommend or not, even though I did get a lot out of it. It's called All Things Shining. And I'm still not sure... <laughs> what it was about it's a nonfiction book um what what it does is it takes literature and philosophy and religion, both uh the Torah and then the New Testament, and talks about what society and culture found sacred and it closes with a story. I'm likely going to use this uh in the high holidays. Uh, and I don't know if the author made this up or if this is kind of a extant story, you know, in some culture or uh, religion. But it's this beautiful story that um, a wise man told his students, go out to the world and find all the things that are shining. And it, it, the, the author writes it in this beautiful way that it's a longer story. But, long, you know, to keep it brief, the two students come back and one says um, – I did see things shining, but there are also things not shining. And then the second student said, well, I really only saw the things not shining because I was hoping to see more things that were shining. And the teacher said, well, here's the thing. There are things that are shining and there are things that aren't, but the things that are, are. Mm -hmm. And I love that. And I think it speaks so beautifully to our reality right now. or, or may, And maybe it's just, uh, you know, a theology is autobiography moment in terms of what I'm going through in terms of having a kid and mm-hmm. just, you know, w- my personal life. Um, but kind of focusing and trying to focus on the quote unquote things that are shining has been a, goal of mine that I have not always achieved by any means. Um, But it is
0: a goal. It is a goal to keep our eyes open for the shiny and to not let too many of the shadows uh, get our attention so much that we miss the shiny. So uh, I love the reaffirmation that the shiny things are. But unfortunately, the shadow things are too. They are. And sometimes evil is just not not the absence of good it has a it has an active role in our world and man i i am i get tired in between the tension of the two for sure i i hate to see them absolutely all right so what's shining in your if that's not your your mind today what is your topic or am I going? Oh, I was going to ask
1: what your topic is. Oh, that's
0: right. I'm. You going want first. me to go? No, I can't. So I uh, last week I went on a on a conference down to Montreat, North Carolina. It's called the Arts, Recreation, and Worship Conference, and I went. But I've never been to this conference before. But I went because I I just needed to get away, um, and go back to Montreat. It's a cool place for me. Uh, and the other thing I was doing all week is grading theology exams. So <laughs> with a. A person in training in seminary to become a pastor is about ready to be finished. They take what are called ordination exams, five different exams. You have to pass all five in order to get ordained and be what's called certified ready to receive a call as a pastor. So I was grading theology exams all last week. Um, And at the same time, I was participating in a small group at this conference called Thirsting for Theology which was a cool thing, right? So I had a double overlap here of theology. Kind of mixes with your pub theology, you that, know, the the drinking. That is, it, and that's why I did it. We went to two or three different breweries and, and coffee shops around Nashville. So as I'm reading these students' theology papers on obscure, weird questions that we ask of them, <laughs> I am traveling out with real pastors who are already doing it to bars and breweries and coffee shops, and we are being asked, where do you see the sacred and where do you see the secular in this gathering of humans? What is being served? Who is being served here? Uh, and by that, he means, well, we're serving coffee, but he also means, oh, we're serving relationships, we're serving community. And we interviewed one of the, the heads of uh, the Highland Brewing Company in Asheville. His name's Oscar. And we were asking him what it what it's like to create a culture. Cause his brewery, Highland Brewing in Asheville, North Carolina, when you drive onto campus, there's a frisbee golf course, there are kids and parents everywhere, there's food trucks, there's dogs, you know, on leashes. It is, it's a campus. It's and it is the wildest thing to go on to this place where you think, okay, this is a beer retailer. But it feels like a fraternity house, sorority house thing. It, and we were asking him how he created that culture, how he designed it and created it. And he had three aspects for it. And I thought of these aspects as critical for congregational culture. And I wondered if you do too. He said, one is integrity. Uh, I need human beings who show up here seeking to be consistent in their moral and ethical way of treating themselves and treating one another. And if I have somebody who is radically incapable of being consistent or who doesn't care about being consistent, it makes it impossible to maintain a fun, healthy culture. The second one he said was quality. That we may have different bands here. We may have different beers here. We may have different... Um, Sometimes we're inside if it's cold. Sometimes we're outside if it's beautiful. the, The food trucks may change. Everything can change, but the quality of the experience will be consistent, dependable. If you come here needing the experience of being here, having a beer, hanging out with friends, how you do that may change, but the quality of it will never change. It will always be top quality. And then the third one was respect, that everything we do here is going to be respectful of one another, um, and those people who are unable to be respectful, they they are asked to leave. Um, and And there's not really much grace or whatever on that. He goes, when you see somebody act disrespectfully, you know that's a character trait of theirs, and they're not going to work here on staff. And they're not going to be helpful to our culture. So they're not a welcome customer. And he talked about those three, quality, integrity, and respect, as essential to having a, a culture where people want to go. And so me and these other pastors started thinking, holy crap, <laughs> what if churches had that? What if congregations had that expectation and requirement of each other whenever we gather? Um. Everybody here is looking to be consistent and nobody flies off the handle. We're always respectful to one another. What we experience might change every week, but the quality of it will not. It will always be top notch quality. And if you're incapable of being respectful to yourself or others around you or to the staff, you're gone. Or if you're disrespectful as a staff, you're gone. Um, and because the, the value of the culture to everybody who needs it is more important as a whole than the individual who is undermining it. And he's saying, sure. yeah, he's saying this, and I am melting because I struggle to find churches that do those three three things well. And I don't know what you think. Well, about
1: first it. of all, it, in some ways, it—I mean—his setup is is just different than ours. So I. I I mean, I admire that. And, you know, in some ways, I kind of fantasize about something like that, right? Like, you know, but that's not like I I would I would venture to guess like that's not the community that you're building, right? That it's I mean, you're you're. First of all, he's getting a. My guess is a very particular clientele in probably a particular age group, right? Whereas, like you and I, we're birthed to that. No, no. He had a
0: wide range of age groups, right? It was it was beautiful, and and that's. I had some other pastors who were older than me in this group who started off where you started off. The younger pastors said, "No, no, no, no. This is what church should be. The church should feel like this." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Well, it, I
1: I also is he and is he doing like life cycle events and for these people they they who, have hosting
0: who, events and they do now do weddings and parties. Got it. And and they have key critical moment transitions in a in a person or a career or a family or a relationship, they host those things. And he did say that they have had a funeral. They're at the brewery now. Yeah. And, No, I mean,
1: I think there's a lot to that. And it's not a judgment at all. This is not a like, oh, I'm old, you know, what he's doing isn't right. I just think it's different. (laughs) I think it's cool and I admire it. The one of those three that to say take issue with is way too strong, but uh, the quality piece, because one thing that I think about a lot is there is a tension between innovation or there can be a tension between innovation and creativity and quality in that quality often happens after you've done something. You know, it's like the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours, right? Mm-hmm. You've done it so many times. So, like, I can do a standard Friday night service. Basically, you know, I mean, many things can bombard me, bombard me <laughs> and I would still be able to very – Professionally and warmly and fairly easily lead a Friday night service. But when we do things, as I think you and I both want to do, that are different, creative, pushing the envelope, asking for participation, using technology, those things make it difficult sometimes to have the same high level of quality as when we're doing something we've done a million times. And there's a real tension for me there. And I, I've really mm-hmm. noticed it in the past year and a half with the pandemic as we've all had to do things differently. And frankly, there have been a lot more mistakes, a lot more you know, technical snafus, or the audio's not right, or people are
0: muted, or I'm muted. And, mm-hmm. um, and I, I think about that. That's not what he meant by your- quality um and so we spent some time there and the, the what where we ended up going as pastors or clergy leaders as we were t- discussing it is too many of our congregants come in expecting consistency so they want the experience to be the same um content and what he said is the content changes all the time i have seasonal beer selections i have different i have different games that are going on i have you know, I may have different staff people that serve you at any different space, right? And we may rearrange the main hall where you're accustomed to entering. And one day the, the shop's over there and the bar's there. But then we, we decided to flip it. And now the shop's moved over there and the bar's over there. And so when you come, it won't be consistent, the content. But what he said he means by quality is the experience, the emotional sense of being connected and supported and enjoying yourself and being valued and, and everything when you're here, the content might change and it, it will take us a while to do that stuff well, but the experience will always be high quality. And and I thought, like, wow, yeah. what if I measured What if congregants did not expect me to sing the same songs at the same point in the worship every Sunday? What if they didn't expect me to have the pulpit in the same place every Sunday? What if they didn't expect me to have the same order, basic order of worship, where we say some words, and then we open a book, and we sing a thing, and then we get quiet, and then we pray, and then we read, and then we preach, and then we sing, and then we read, and then we pray, then we go home. That that content stuff that is very consistent, um, that doesn't necessarily imply quality of experience. What would it look like to measure the quality of someone's uh, religious experience, their relationship to themselves, to others, and to God? And whatever we did in our gatherings was to maximize that, the, the attendees' experience, spiritual experience with themselves, with each other, and with God, regardless of the content whether we're zoom or whether we're <laughs> whether our battery pack goes dead none of that stuff affects the quality necessarily if we're maximizing the quality of the spiritual experience for those who worship with us so don't i mean don't you try to do that anyway i think so but i think sometimes i let the uh, habitual traditional expectation of the members affect how much I maximize the religious experience for people.
1: Ah, I see. I see. Okay. I I can resonate with that.
0: I accommodate their expectations. We do it this way. We do it this long. We do these songs in this order. I accommodate that even if it's rote and has almost no spiritual meaning anymore.
1: Yeah. Well, and this is th- this might be what I was trying to articulate and you saying that helps is that you and I and th- this links to my topic but by no means am I am I rushing you out Joel. Um you and I are in places that existed before us. Yes. So to some extent it's only fair that there is some kind of expectations about you know in Judaism we use the word minhag it's a place's custom or tradition, right? And so um, you know, we both went into places that that are established in that way. Whereas this 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 guy built his thing from scratch, which has its own challenges, yeah. also. Um, but he, but in that sense, it's kind of like a startup company where the startup looks like the founder, right? Um, that he gets to create it, and there's something really beautiful and powerful about that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he. Uh, we had two quick stories. He said uh, he hired an older guy who was very good at his job, and they had packed a stack of beers and wrapped it and were about to load it on a truck. And And a kid noticed, one of the younger kids on the dock, noticed there was some discoloration at the bottom under the wrap, and the older guy just said, ship it, and the younger guy said no and pulled it off to the side, unwrapped it, unstacked it, found the one that was leaking, Removed it, removed all the ones it had stained, restacked it with no leaks, rewrapped it, and shipped it the next day, a day late, but with no leaks. And the guy, the owner, learned that and fired the old guy because he didn't have the integrity to maintain that level, right? He 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 just sacrificed it in order to push something through, and I told him I was standing in line, waiting for an IPA, and um, I watched one of the guys pour one, and and then he lifted it up and he saw something on it, and he scratched it with his thumbnail and realized whatever he sees it's on the inside and he can't get to it, so he dumped the whole
1: <laughs> he dumped the whole
0: beer. He turns the, the glass up, upside down in the dirty rack, pulls a new glass, looks it over really well, and then pours a beer and then delivers it to the person in front of me. And he goes, that's it. I cannot teach that. Right. I, I need people who have that in them.
1: That's a great, that's a great story. Yeah. I, I like, I like the uh, metaphor of that.
0: Yeah. And he said, I can't teach that to people. I can measure if they have it. And I can monitor and watch to see if they have it and are willing to have more of it. But if if they have it, they have it. And you see it. And you know, okay, this is going to be one of my great employees. And if they don't have it and are not even willing to imagine having it, I can't waste time on trying to give it to them. Because every minute that I let them do it wrong, I am not just accommodating somebody who's falling behind. I'm hurting the whole community
1: there's a big difference too between how we treat people that are employees and the people that are the quote-unquote customer right like I'm gonna treat it not in terms of dignity God forbid or, or or anything like that but in terms of expectation and how we hold people accountable you know there, there's a big difference between kind of my um uh our administrator and my temple president in the sense of volunteer
0: versus paid right in the same way there's a difference between me and the temple president he asks us that he goes well are the people who come to your church are they like staff people or are they like customers and and i i wanted to say they're all staff right they're all staff we are we are not here to be served we are here, yeah. <laughs> uh, right? But then there's an obvious expectation of some people who come to temple or church. I'm the customer. So I wouldn't even say some
1: expectation. I would say there is an expectation. But I'd also say that I don't mean that in a in a negative way necessarily. If it's too much to the extreme, whereas this is what I want, and if you don't give it to me, you know, you are either a bad rabbi or, you know, this place isn't good, like that sort of thing. And there's very little of that, um, thankfully. But, um, you know, there is an extent of we are, you know, we're asking people to make a financial commitment. We're asking people to make a, a fairly significant emotional and hopefully spiritual commitment. And so if they're not getting something out of it that sustains them, that fulfills them, um then we're not doing a good job in the same way in a similar way not the same where you know if you if you patronize a restaurant and all of a sudden they're not giving you good food you're not going to that restaurant anymore you might give it a chance another chance or two um but after that you're
0: done that's not how i would do the metaphor though i'd say okay you patronize a restaurant and you sit down and they bring you a fillet and you're like, but I'm a burger guy. All I want is my damn burger. They're like, well, today it's a fillet. And they're like, no, I want a burger. I want ketchup. I want pickles, right? And I want some A one sauce on that thing. And like, sir, we're serving fillets today. I, I, you know, and and that customer, right. it's okay, just, it's just not who we are. Yeah, the the customers can say, well, I'm I'm out then. You know, and you can either give me a fillet or I'm not pa- a burger. Or I'm not paying. And I'm like. Oh my gosh, there's a story where Jesus turns water into wine at a wedding. And the steward is he's, he doesn't understand why the best wine was saved for the end of the party. <laughs> and And I find that sometimes when you're finally doing the big important thing with somebody who's spiritually hungry, they don't like the way it tastes. They don't want that. Yeah, they'd rather have the fast food spirituality that is easy, simple, Dependable. I'm accustomed to it. I've chewed it. I've swallowed it. I, I, I know. I. It's cheaper. I can afford it. <laughs> right. Don't don't give me the hard stuff. I I can't digest that. I can't chew that. Um. I don't like what it feels like. Uh, once you show me what it really looks like, it's too hard. If I could turn every church customer into church staff, that would be the best church ever. Where nobody came to church to consume, but everybody came to church to be consumed. That would be the best church ever.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think ideally there is a kind of symbiosis there. Uh, I, I also think that mentality is, if not a certainly a challenge, but I'd even perhaps say the challenge for liberal religious institutions
0: speaking of re- uh, liberal religious institution yes we are one and <laughs> so we
1: are speaking of previously existing places um, our congregation here in Athens, Georgia is currently celebrating its – this is a word I've learned recently – sesquicentennial anniversary. It's 150th year in Athens and um, it's a pretty big deal and um, we're starting off – Then this this is not an advertisement, but we're, we're starting the kind of kickoff of celebrations this weekend, tying it together with a fundraiser and we're having a musician and food and prizes and all sorts of things um, – but it just led me to thinking about how much we have changed i mean certainly in 150 years but even you know in my lifetime as what i would call a serious jew in the last you know 25 30 years how much reformed judaism has changed and continues to change and so you know sometimes we think about an anniversary as wow you know we're really celebrating this this past, this rich past and tradition that we have, I think in our case, I mean, that's certainly true, especially as the only uh, community-based Jewish congregation in Athens. But even more so, the excitement and hope for whatever changes and excitement and, and innovations that we are going to have in the future. And so that kind of milestone anniversary uh, leads me to think about all of that.
0: So did it take the end of the Civil War for Reform Judaism to put a, a congregation in the deep south Athens? Yeah. I mean, you know, 1873
1: was, was our founding year, um, you know, not too long after the Reform movement itself, which is uh, pretty remarkable. Um you know, I, I don't know. I, I've seen the deed of kind of the, the formation. I don't know that what the reasons were or what what kind of created the congregation. Um, but from a physical standpoint, we've been in three different spaces. Um, the place where now we've been for over 50 years, and it's, of course, seen a number of renovations, including the most recent one two years ago. Um, but what, I, what I'm most interested in... Is, again, is this move between kind of who we are and who we, who, who we were, who we are, and who we will become, who we want to become, and how that's implicit in the definition of Reformed Judaism, um, and kind of where we'll go from here. It, it's, it's exciting.
0: So are, are, how are y'all going to celebrate this with how much of your celebration will be repeating uh, things of the past versus doing old things in new ways.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, so the the launch is this Sunday at the at our, at our big uh, bike ride, bike exodus at a local uh, coffee roaster that I know you know uh, <laughs> very very well, Joel. Um, the bike ride, by the way, is not at the roaster; it starts at the roaster. It's not like they're biking around <laughs> the roaster uh, a thousand times. It's a uh, it's a it's called a century mile bike ride. Uh, I'm gonna. The, the leader of the bike ride will hear me and, and shake his head. So I don't want to say I, – I don't want to get any terminology wrong. But there's three different lengths and, of a bike ride and then we're selling raffle tickets. But we're asking the entire congregation to come from a certain – at a certain time just to be with one another, to celebrate. And again, we have music and that sort of thing. Um, we also are working on a time capsule of uh, – you know w- with our religious school and with some other families of taking things that represent us now – and, you know, maybe we'll dig it open in 20, 25 years and, and kind of see what see who we were at this given point in time. Didn't they do a um, time capsule
0: 100 years ago and you're supposed to dig it up?
1: Sadly, no. That would have been amazing. Uh, gosh, would I love nothing more than that. I mean, that would really be something.
0: Um, you have to check the minutes. It's probably in there somewhere.
1: Right. Yeah. I'll just, just, you know, there'll be a hundred holes around the synagogue like, Oh, there's Rabbi Linder again. <laughs> looking, looking for the time. This metal detector. And, you know, really, you know this from being here and, and this is how I got to know you. But I think for me in the last 10 years uh since I've been here, it really is a celebration, not only of the congregation's existence, but of the congregation's relationship with the city and with the other communities in the city, most notably perhaps the interfaith community, and that that's a big deal to me, and I and it's a big deal to a lot of our congregants too. Um, yeah, and it's something I'm really proud of, and it's something I hope continues uh, through the next God willing 150 years.
0: Well, and for those Christians who remember that Jesus was a Jew the The relationship is obvious and easy um, for those Christians who don't understand that yet, <laughs> who haven't embraced that yet. Oh my gosh, I just it's so painful and so embarrassing to me that uh, people can't go far enough back in the history to find the commonality and let that be the thing that is honored today, as opposed to the way Christians attacked Jews and oppressed them and blamed them. And, I mean, gosh, right after Civil War, the South is known for its um, white, Christian, racist, anti-Jew attitudes. So I'm sure in y'all's 150-year history as a congregation in the South, there were some tough seasons with your Christian brother and sister neighbors yeah
1: absolutely and and you know we've had not in terms of anti-Semitism thank goodness or but we, we've had conflicts in terms of programming in terms of um, you know working together you, you and I were both a part of the beginning of the interfaith clergy partnership of greater Athens where you know it, it, we all know how difficult it is for a group of people to get along. I mean, imagine a group of clergy from various religion and backgrounds and and cultures and all of those things. And so those things are difficult, but they're important. Um, And and I'd I'd go so far to say they're they're holy endeavors. So uh, we're gonna keep doing them even, even though they're sometimes difficult.
0: Nice. Well, congratulations. Happy so, birthday. We should blow out candles. Thanks. You, you're gonna, why, don't you come, why don't you come this weekend? <laughs> I can't come this weekend. I'll be down in in Atlanta and Athens in July, though. So You will? Yes. I'm coming to a couple of oh. Atlanta United games.
1: Oh, you better come see me. We, you we might have to do an episode live. <laughs>
0: nice. Y- right? You haven't signed up for any of my Atlanta United tickets yet.
1: I know I have a I uh, well unless I could take the at that point he'll be three months old I don't know that
0: uh, <laughs> can't recommend I'll be able it oh
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, but this was fun Joel good good topics
0: yes you too buddy until next time keep it real see y'all
1: later shalom
0: thank you for joining us on the Realigion podcast today where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. I'm Reverend Joel Talbert, and on behalf of Rabbi Eric Linder and all the religion fans out there, we thank you for being with us today and invite you to send us any feedback or suggestions or topic ideas to RealigionPodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, keep it real.